This episode brought to you by Audible, and today you can receive a free audiobook and 30-day free trial by visiting audibletrial.com slash sports. Listen to your audiobook anywhere, anytime. Exploring the impact of sports. Welcome, Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Having conversations and hearing personal stories from those who have been impacted, built, and inspired by the role of sports in their lives. Here's your host, Richmond Weaver. This is episode 69. I am your host, Richmond Weaver, and glad you're listening through whatever platform that might be. And thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen. Throughout history, one reason we continue to advance as a society, it's our desire and confidence of exploring the unknown. And our guest this episode, Rian Gibson, truly defines that. Growing up in Australia, Rian would turn 18 and head for America, embarking on his sports journey of playing golf at Oklahoma Christian University, where he would be named a four-time All-American. He then turned pro in 2010, having three professional wins. He would also earn his PGA Tour card for the 2015 season. He continues his professional career now on the Web.com Tour, and you can also find him in the Guinness Book of World Records as the record holder for the lowest round recorded where he shot an astounding score of 55 in 2012. Here's episode 69 with Rian Gibson. Well, I know you're you're busy. I'm busy. All of that. Uh, life continues to go on. And Rian, just from the opportunity of being able to meet you not too long ago at the BMW Charity Pro-Am here in Greenville, South Carolina. And you were so kind to share with me some insight and some tips and techniques out on the driving range and now spending time with me here on the podcast. So I greatly appreciate it. But ever since you've left, my golf game has fallen apart even worse than it was. So I need you back here in Greenville. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hopefully that wasn't uh, part of my doing. No, it's I need you here to continue the the lessons that you were giving me. I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, no problem at all. No, uh, it, it was a good week at BMW. It was good to meet you. And uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, was, I'm, I'm also intrigued with what you do. So uh, thanks for having me on. Well, I greatly appreciate it. And I'm also intrigued just by your journey, Rian. And that's what I want to be able to explore a little bit more. Obviously, we all have a journey. A lot of times, that, though, it's in one particular country, but you're in a unique situation where you grew up in Australia and you make the move, a big move halfway around the world to the United States. So growing up before you made that move, when did you get involved with sports? And obviously golf is a big part of your life, but when did you really gravitate towards sports? Um, To be honest, sports has always been a part of my life. I pretty much played a lot of the sports growing up in Australia and, uh, you know, and, and golf was one of them. And, and by the time I got to about age 14 or 15, golf was just a little more convenient. It was, uh, it was, there was a course close to my house and, uh, it was something I could do on my own time, go practice by myself. You know, I didn't necessarily have to have team practices, you know, to, to get out of it what I wanted. So, um, that's when I kind of really started pursuing golf and fortunate enough that it's gotten me to, to the position I'm in now, um, playing it as a profession. So, but yeah, like I said, played most sports growing up and, and made the move to America when I was 18. 
during that time as you're 14, 15 years old, were you involved in lessons at that time, having a specific coach? Or were you more of you were just playing on your own and you started realizing that you're pretty good? Yeah, it was a bit of both. Um, you know, I got a little bit of coaching growing up from the local pro. Uh, and he, he was good with the kids. Like he'd give free lessons to the kids once a week. And, and then it was, it was more just a case of me being on the golf course pretty much every free minute of the day that I had and just fell in love with the sport and, and the challenge both mentally and physically. And then, um, I guess I just kind of got better and better and started playing tournaments and just thought it's something that I was intrigued by and, and to see if I could like kind of shell out a future by playing golf so that's when uh kind of america called and took a golf scholarship over here so how was that journey though to get to america and get a scholarship to play at oklahoma christian university in edmond oklahoma it's not like this is a big city a, a big school and you're coming from australia so how did you get to that point to be even discovered yeah so um if i if i was to backtrack a little bit um where I grew up out in Australia, um, there was a really good amateur there that was about four years older than me, and he actually played golf at the University of Colorado. And so he'd come back each summer, and I'd always kind of look up to him and and kind of pick his brain. And that's kind of what got me like started, you know, looking into coming to America and possibly getting a golf scholarship. So I kind of picked his brain a lot. And basically, long story short, is we just kind of use my family and I use like a college scout. To where he just kind of got my information and tournament results, and we put it online. And um, any any coach has access to like an online database. And um, I had emails from oh, probably a hundred different schools, and that that's kind of where I got tricky because um, I wasn't in a position to do a college visit or anything. So trying to differentiate between schools and divisions was very difficult. So that's kind of where I lent on my friend that played at Colorado, and yes, yeah, so. To, to get to Oklahoma was was a little weird. Um, he was one of the first coaches to re- reach out to me, and he was fortunate enough to offer me a full ride. He, he thought my results were good enough and whatnot. And um, back then, when the email came through, like Oklahoma, we had no idea, my parents and I, so we had to get the atlas out. We didn't have the iPhones back then. <laughs> so, but yeah, so I just started conversations with a few of the schools and, and uh, ended up at Oklahoma Christian. And um, it was a good fit for me. It was, it, was, it was a small school. Just in general, it was it was a bit of a shock to the system. I just turned 18, uh, fresh out of high school, and yeah, to pack pack my life up in a suitcase and move to the states was obviously a big move. But we had a really good golf program, and yeah, here I am, 14 years later, living two miles from the school that I went to. So yeah, pretty crazy. It is crazy. So what was the appeal though about the United States versus just staying in Australia? Because I know golf is big in Australia as well. It is. Um, you know what, what? What was the greatest thing about college for me was it gave me four years to kind of develop my game as well. Um, I, I, was, I wasn't good enough at 18 to turn pro. So in saying that, there's not much to do in Australia. Um, like we don't have the college system like America does. And I think that's why we see a lot of foreign athletes over here. Um, so it really helped me mature and, and experience stuff. And it also gave me an education to where if the golf or whatever sport someone was playing doesn't work out, um, it's also a great backup plan. And I thought that was important for me. So I graduated with a finance degree and um, something I'll always have. Hopefully, you know, I, I don't really need to use it, but um, it's always nice to have, you know, if something happens. What was your parents' reaction, I guess, the first time? Or was there a moment when you come to them and tell them your thought of, 
yeah, I want to go to the United States and play golf in college. How did they react or what was the conversation like? Well, man, it was that long ago. I don't really remember exactly, <laughs> but, uh, um, but they also knew um, my good friend Kane Weber, the guy that played at Colorado very well and his family. So, I mean, we'd, we'd spoken to him and his parents about it. And um, I mean, they were, they were always on board with, with what, what I was wanting to do because they thought it was also a good idea to get an education as well. So that's why America was such a great opportunity. And being the youngest of, of three boys, I think it was probably harder on my mom. But um, but it's 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 panned out pretty well, you know. Now, were your brothers were they into golf and sports as well? Or you have a sports family. Yeah, I mean, definitely during high school, you know, just just playing all the soccer and, and the team sports and stuff. But they they never really pursued anything further than that. Um, my dad's kind of the one that got me into golf to start with from a young age, and uh, but he doesn't really play much anymore. But but yeah, I mean, pretty sporty family, but like I said, no one's really carried on with it other than myself. What was the transition like, though, coming from Australia you're, when you first arrive into Oklahoma? I mean, what's going through your mind? What am I doing here? <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, it was definitely definitely a bit of a culture shock, for sure. Um, and religion and that, that kind of environment wasn't, wasn't big in my family growing up. And the school I went to was, was very religious-based which which was fine um but yeah just just having to do with that a little bit was was difficult um especially when i just kind of got done with high school and i'm ready to you know start enjoying life a little more and whatnot but um uh, a big thing between australia and america difference is 18 is the legal age in australia so kind of just turned 18 and and you know had used to go down to the pub with some of my friends and have a beer and just that that, that was a little more difficult having to be 21 over here and and just kind of the school itself felt kind of felt a little bit kind of like high school again, which necessarily wasn't something I was wanting to to experience. But um, as my time progressed and and whatnot, it, it turned out to be a, a really good decision for me. But yeah, being a fresh faced eighteen year old kid in America, you like you want to get out and do everything you can, but you're a little little handcuffed, you know, between age restrictions and uh, just kind of the environment that I was put in. For sure. Now, what about from a faith perspective? Did the school have an impact on you in terms of your faith? Maybe a little. I mean, it's hard not to when you're just in that environment all the time, you know. But I, I think just in general, it probably it made me more aware and, and made me a better person, you know, overall. So, like I said, just growing up in Australia, just that religion, religion or or faith side wasn't that big, at least in at least in my family. What about the level of competition? From the golf perspective, how was that when you get there to Oklahoma? I was fortunate that we had a really good golf team. Um, my my college coach and who's still there at the time, David Lynn, he he did a really good job of recruiting some foreign players that were kind of in a position like me, um, wanting to come over and kind of but needed a lot more financial support than than what we could get from say a, a, a mid level or big level Division One program. So. We always seem to have some, some really good players, some studs on our team. So fortunately, uh, I pretty much played every event in the four years I was, I was at the school. And our team was basically half half foreign and half American. And it was always competitive, you know, to, to get on the top five. But um, fortunately, we had good teams and we always seemed to be ranked like number one or number two in the country at the NAI level, which is the uh, that's the level that we played at, at the time. Yeah, good competition between the players and and, and good competition against the, the local rival schools as well. And at that point, what's the mindset as far as 
are, are you understanding what the next steps are to you to make it to the pro level and explain that? Because I think there's a lot of people that might not be aware exactly the pathway to get to the PGA Tour, which most people is what they recognize as professional golf. But there's professional golf just at different levels from the mini tours, the web.com tour, and et cetera. So it, share that. I guess the easiest way to explain it is the PGA Tour right now have tried to develop a kind of a, a baseball system, you know, like the majors, the minors, the triple A's, the double A's. So um, to play basically professional golf in America, you you can either go to one of their feeder tours, which would be like the PGA Tour China or PGA Tour Canada or PGA Tour Latin America. And that would be a stepping stone. Uh, if you if you play well enough on that tour to move to the web.com, which is uh, the tour I've been playing this year, and then the web.com, they, every year they take a handful of players, 25 players, to the PGA Tour. So it's kind of a progression. You know, you want to move up the ladder. You don't want to really move back down the ladder. So that's a system that's kind of in place in America. But like you said, I mean, there's there's tours everywhere. Um, there's, there's smaller tours in America. You can just pay an entry fee to play. Um, you can also go overseas and play. Um, which is kind of what I did the first few years once I graduated uh, graduated here in Oklahoma. I was living here in Oklahoma and traveled through Asia for two years. And just to, it was a really, really good experience for me. It really helped me develop from a player standpoint, um, learning to travel and do everything on your own, uh, which is a little bit different from the, <laughs> from the college aspect. You know, yes. when you have a coach who's booking all your flights and just tells you to show up to the bus at this time and we're staying at the Hampton Inn, like, um, that, that's another thing a lot of people take for granted is everything's kind of once you turn pro everything's done by yourself um, you don't have really many people looking out for you so you've got to come up with a schedule um, try to get into the tournament you want to play book your flights accommodation rental cars uh, and that's all on you so yeah it, that's probably the best way to explain the pro pro golf you know right now and one of the biggest things is you really want to uh get out and play as much as you can to improve your world ranking. Because once you kind of get your world ranking high enough, that can get you into tournaments or uh, definitely opens a lot of doors. And when you went to Asia, so at that point, how much were you traveling and how many tournaments were you playing each year? At that point, I was probably playing um, maybe 10 to 15 events a year. Uh, And predominantly those were all through like the Asia Pacific area. So I was traveling quite a bit. And even to like, even to the last couple of years playing full-time in America, I I still travel a little bit overseas to play some other tours. So I'm kind of averaging about 30 to 32 events a year, which is, uh, which is quite a lot. Um, you'll, you'll obviously just hear other players say they play about 20, but, um, I love to play golf and I love to travel. So I've been lucky to, to be able to experience it. I presume though, to be able to travel to these places, as you mentioned, you're doing all the travel and stuff yourself. I presume then also you're having to pay for everything just through your winnings rather than it's not like you have some other job that is funding. Right, exactly right. Yep. So basically I'm, I'm self-funded. Um, you know, I just, I, I do everything myself. I, I, the best way to explain professional golf is basically it's uh, just another form of gambling. Um, <laughs> I have expenses each week. You know, I have to pay for my flights, my car, my hotel, my food. So yeah, weeks could run between, you know, Two thousand to four thousand dollars a week um, that you kind of outlaying because obviously you have to pay for a caddy as well. So yeah, I mean it's it, it's definitely stressful. 
I've been fortunate that I've had some good years to where I can I can keep doing it. But that's what happens a lot of the time is good players just may not have a, a run of success and or just basically run out of money. And I see that you know every year there's there's a fresh crop of players come out with money and there's a fret then there's some older guys that just can't keep afford doing it. So fortunately, like I said, I've had some good years. Um, I've I've got some some good relationships with some manufacturers from golf gear. So they kind of give me a little money each year, but it definitely doesn't offset what I'm spending. Uh, it just kind of it, it helps it for sure. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's expensive. We spend anywhere from, you know, at least on the web level, probably our expenses a year are 60 to $90,000. So we need to obviously make that and more be able to uh, just really live. You know, I'm just like anyone else. We, we have mortgages, we have car payments. So um, that can be very stressful. How does that affect you come tournament time when obviously there's already pressure that you want to win and do well, but in the back of your mind, it's also, I've got to survive financially also. Does that affect your game? Oh, absolutely. Whether whether you'll admit to it or not, it, it definitely affects everyone. So that's where, you know, like fortunately this year, I had a really good start to the year. Uh, I had back-to-back third-place finishes, which... Which, which really like helped me mentally, you know, going forward. Like I took a lot of kind of pressure off. Whereas last year, I, I was just lucky enough to keep my card. It was, a, it was a stressful year last year, you know, I just, I didn't have the results. And, uh, yeah, I was fortunate that I did keep my card and then, then turn around this year and I've got off to a good start of the year. So, uh, it's definitely, definitely a mental struggle out there. And you just need to take advantage of your really good weeks and, you know, and, and when you're not playing so well, just, just grind them out and, you know, just, just, try, to, just try to keep going. And you mentioned p- paying for caddies, but you don't have like one particular caddy, especially if you're traveling all over the place. I presume that these caddies can't necessarily follow you because the expense is involved as well. So how are you coordinated and aligned with different caddies throughout all of these tournaments? Yeah, so I mean, I guess everyone's relationship's a little bit different with caddies. You know, some people have their best friends on the bag or whatever, right? Or they pick up new new caddies each week, just random people. But um, I mean, th- there seems to be there's also like w- there's a group of players that play professional golf. There's a group of caddies that caddy professional golf. So um, you'll see a lot of caddies bounce back and forth between the PGA Tour and the Web.com Tour. Um, and if, if, if you've had a good start to the year and you have the opportunity to pick up a good caddy, well, then they'll basically travel with you the whole year. And they're obviously taking a risk as well on you because they only they get paid, obviously, a weekly wage, and then which really only covers their expenses for the week. They, they're hoping that you do well and, and you know, get a percentage of the prize money that week and all those weeks that they're on the bag with you. So Yeah, they're gambling also. Absolutely, they are. Yeah, and that's you'll see caddies stay three, four deep to a room a week, or they'll uh, they'll cram they'll cram four guys into a convertible if they have to. You know, <laughs> that's right. That's the so, that's the life of the grind for sure. Exactly right. It's definitely a grind for sure. Now you've earned your PGA Tour card as well, and as you mentioned, you're on yep. the web dot com right now. So, what's the biggest differences between the two tours? So I, I've spent one year out there. That was 2016. And I think it's not necessarily the level of play. I think the guys now that are coming off the web are, are very good. And you've seen that. A lot of the guys have been winning lately, um, which kind of strengthens the, the idea of the system they've built. Because a lot of these kids have started in in Canada, in Latin America, moved to the web, graduated off the web. Now they've won the PGA Tour. So I think it validates what they're doing. But um, the biggest thing is just 
feeling comfortable out there. You know, you're playing against guys that you've watched on TV for, you know, 20, 25 years. And you're definitely handcuffed kind of your first year, more so from um, the playing opportunity perspective. Like, as a rookie... Uh, and the category that we fit in, we don't necessarily get access to every tournament that these other guys are getting. So um, the year I played, I, w- I had access to 17 events, um, and I have to make as many points as a guy that has access to like 40 events. So it's, it's pretty difficult, you know. We're we're learning new golf courses, which which is which is tough, you know. In some of the events we play, we play two or three courses. So you know, you fly in on a Monday. You got to see one course Monday, one course Tuesday, one course Wednesday, and then you got to tee it up Thursday. So the weeks get really long and tiring. Um, so you just kind of have your card stacked against your, your rookie year. But if you can keep your card that rookie year, I mean, then you know the, the following year should be a lot easier going forward. You, you know what to expect. You know that you know where to stay. Um, you know how to travel, where to fly into. Just just little stuff like that um, definitely definitely makes it a, a lot less strenuous and. And, and normally results in better play, to be honest. Of course, I can imagine just going back to what we've talked about. I mean, as the more stressors that you have, it obviously has to affect your game out there. Absolutely, yeah. The more comfortable you are, the, the, the better results you're going to get. And I mean, that's just, that's just general in life, you know. The more comfortable you are at anything, the better you're going to perform, whether it's in the office, whether it's selling stuff, you know, salesman or whatever. So. What was the moment where, or was there a moment where you were starstruck either by who you were playing with or the course that you were playing on because you had been looking up to this person or wanted to play this course your entire life? I mean, the, the one event I, I really valued and I was, I was lucky to get into it um, was uh, the LA Open, which they have at Riviera. Um, that That's just a course that I've always wanted to play. And um, that was an event I wasn't actually in. But I entered the Monday qualifier, and uh, I actually won a playoff, six guys to one spot to get into the field. So that that was awesome. So to get to play that course, uh, made the cut. So I played decent there, uh, which was just awesome. That's something I'll I'll always relish. And then from like, a, I mean, another standpoint would be I've, I've, I was fortunate enough to play in one major already this in my career, and that was the British Open in 2014. And uh, I made the cut there. And my Saturday tea time was with Jordan Spieth and Tiger Woods, so that was a that was a whole that was a holy uh, like a holy beep 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 experience, you know. <laughs> That's right. So I was definitely in awe that day, but it was awesome. Those guys treated me really well, and um, you know I've seen Jordan a lot since, and he remembers my name and remembers playing with me. So, uh, but yeah, that's probably the biggest moment I've I've had in my career so far from an out-of-body experience. And how was it then at a, an event like that with the crowd? Especially, we know Tiger and Jordan, they're going to attract a big crowd. So is it completely different playing in, in front of a crowd like that versus some of the other tournaments where it might not be as a focal point, obviously? Yeah, I mean, um, I guess I guess just playing in, in professional golf in general, I mean, you're going to have big crowds, you're going to have small crowds. And I guess from a player standpoint, you just need to learn to kind of block those out. But yeah, I mean, that's definitely the biggest crowd that I've played in front of. And um, it, it's not something that, that bothered me. Um, the most difficult thing with playing with Tiger was, um, like if he putted out, the crowd would just move with him. And if I still had a putt on the green, like there were, you know, 5,000 people all moving at the same time and you're still trying to finish out the hole. <laughs> exactly. Um, so that, 
you know, and, and you could talk to anyone about that. That's just normal. And we get it. But it's just something you have to deal with when you play with a big name like that. Um, so that was a little different. But, um, you know, luckily, like I said, the crowds don't seem to bother me as, as they bother other people. So, Speaking of the crowds, how have you been able to, in terms of block the crowd out, as you mentioned? Because I know there's got to be an aspect of where you know people are watching you and Say you're not comfortable about to hit your tee shot and you want to back off, but are, are you thinking that, yeah, but I've got all these people watching me. I need to hurry up and hit and move on. Or <laughs> what's going through your mind? I think actually a lot comes down to how, you, how confident or non, not confident you are that specific week. Like if you're over the ball, think I'm not really sure where this is, where this is going to go. I think you, you know, obviously you don't want to embarrass yourself. So I think you become more aware of the crowd being there, but if you're playing good and kind of in the moment and um, feeling really confident, you just block it out because you, you know where the ball's going. You know you're going to hit on the green. Um, you know, so I, I think a lot comes back to the position you're in with regards to how your game is at that point in time. And what about from a fan's perspective? Have you had any incidences with rowdy fans and something you know didn't go too well with a fan? No, nah, not really. Um, most people don't know who I am anyway, so they don't really have the background information. Like, a, you know, maybe say like how people know Ian Poulter or whatnot, you know. Um, so I, I'm, I've been pretty lucky in that regard. But, I mean, it's it's like anything. Once you get big crowds out there and you hit a loose shot, I mean, people get hit with balls. So um, everyone's done it. And, and unfortunately, a couple of people have been in the way of my errant shot before too. So that's that's when you feel really bad is when you knock someone out in the crowd or, you know... Uh, you know, hit, hit him in the head or whatnot. So, well, that's what I was worried about at the BMW Charity Pro Am. Is that I was nervous I was going to hit somebody. Granted, we didn't have huge crowds, but that was my biggest yeah. concern. <laughs> For sure, absolutely. No, and you just it, it just happens. That's golf. Um, so hopefully, hopefully, no one really gets hurt too bad from it. You know? That's right. Well, I know one particular round that you had, you were dialed in and you were confident. And that's back in 2012, Guinness Book of World Record for the lowest round in golf. You shoot a 55. That's just astounding, Ryan. So walk me through that day. Yeah, pretty pretty crazy. I mean, I, I still go back and look up, uh, you know, and look at it and uh, like relive the feels and whatnot I had. Um, but yeah, like I said, pretty crazy. It was a it was a Saturday morning round at, at one of my local cl- courses. Um, in fact, it's where my college team, uh, they play and practice every day. So it was a course I was very familiar with and just crazy. We, we had six guys that morning. So we had two, two groups of three and, um, we threw the balls up and basically went to the 10th tee. It, it had been raining for a couple of days. So the driving range was flooded. So we couldn't even warm up. So I went to the 10th <laughs> tee and, and threw the balls up and, um, managed to par the first. And I was like, didn't really think much of it. And then, uh, went on a nice little run or, and made the turn at 10 under. Um, so, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a crazy, crazy, crazy nine to think I could shoot 10 under. And then, uh, fortunately, I, was, I went to the front nine and, and kind of kept it going and, and uh, shot another six under on the front and, yeah, added up to 55. So the, f- the first and only time I've shot in the 50s, never rung 60. So my, my, it was past 71. So the, my, whole, my whole thought going into that second nine was, you know, just let's just get in the fifties. I'd love to shoot in the fifties. I've never done it. So once I kind of got to 13 under, I was, and I still had uh four holes to go. I was like, all right, so let's see how, how low I can really go. 
and I managed to birdie through the last four holes to, to shoot 16 under. So, um, yeah, crazy day. And, um, uh, it was, it was validated or ratified for the Guinness Book of Records. So that's kind of a, kind of a neat thing to have and pretty surreal, to be honest. I can imagine. Now, how was it with the buddies that you were playing with? I mean, was there, was there chatter? Were people talking or was it silence? <laughs> like you see in some of these, uh, you know, Major League Baseball, if there's a no hitter, nobody says anything to the pitcher. How was it with you? That's kind of, that's kind of how it was. Um, you know, once I made the turn at 10 under and we're all kind of celebrating and, um, you know, once I kind of got to that 13, you know, 12, 13 under, that's when they kind of just, it was me by myself. They wouldn't <laughs> talk to me. Uh, they didn't want to jinx it. Yeah. Just like the no hitter. And at that point, you know, the guys in my group were texting like shot by shot and was like, is this really happening? And, um, it was pretty cool. By the time we got to the ninth green, which was our last hole, obviously we started on the 10th. Um, there was probably about 30 to 40 members that had kind of heard through the grapevine what was going on and um, had about a 12-foot putt across the slope and managed to make it. And it was, uh, you know, a few hooter and hollering going on. And But at that point, we didn't we didn't know with regards to records or anything like that. It was just we were kind of all celebrating because of how, how low I, I managed to shoot that day. Uh, it wasn't until a couple of days later that we kind of, some some of the guys I played with looked into it and, and saw that it could be a possible record. So that's when we went down that road and got it validated by the Guinness Book. That is amazing. Now, was there an aspect, though, that you shoot that 55, but when you look back and relive all your shots, is there a part of you like, man, I actually, I could have had a 54? <laughs> well, I mean, I think you could always look back on one or two shots. And I mean, I guess there there was a, I mean, I did par par five with a four iron in, um, which was my fourth last hole, but I'm I'm not going to, by no means am I disappointed. You know, I, I hold some putts that you don't normally hold or whatnot. So it was just a dream round, and um, I was happy that some of my, my really, really close friends could enjoy it as well with me. Well, and you also have this affinity that you can have some hole-in-one, some aces as well. And so how many have you had in your career? Is it nine total? Yep, I've had nine, correct. And when was your first one? My first one was at my home golf course in Australia. Um, it was number two, just a little par three, and I think I hold a pitching wedge. I can't remember. I was definitely in high school when it happened. And, yeah, I mean, luckily I've had eight more since. And I, I know I've got a lot of friends that have played golf their whole life who haven't managed to have one. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty fortunate in that regard as well. And share the last one that you had. I know it was at a par three course, but I still I love that story. Yeah, it was, it was a pretty cool story. Uh, it was the Wednesday of the BMW, uh, the day before I met you, actually. And uh, Jose Alvarez, who's a good friend of mine, used to play in the major leagues. He uh, he runs the FCA uh, golf group, and FCA is the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And uh, on the Wednesday, we he put on a little uh, par three tournament uh, at a course called Crosswinds, which is an 18-hole par three and kind of a shootout with the pros. So we had a a bunch of you know local businessmen and whatnot trying to raise money for the FCA, and uh, so each group kind of had a pro and uh, 18 holes, 18 groups. So everyone had a hole they started on and. We just—I was the fourth. I was on the fourth, so we walked over there. Uh, no warm-up, nothing. It was about 135 yards, and uh, tee the ball up. And the guys in my group wanted me to hit first. Normally, the pro normally hits last, but so first shot of the day, no warm-up. Stand, I'm standing over it, thinking it, this would be pretty funny if this had a chance to go in. So I make contact, and I look up, and it's on a really good line, She's going for the pin, and it lands and spins back in the hole for a one. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, definitely crazy. Our whole group was high five and just we couldn't believe what had just happened, you know. Yeah. Literally the first shot of the day, you know, basically just like a walk off. Just a walk off one. It was 
That's pretty cool, sir. So literally, you actually had that thought running through your head as you're about to hit that, how cool would this be if I made a hole-in-one? Yeah, standing up. Standing over it, you know, I'm thinking, wow, wouldn't wouldn't it be funny if this had a chance or this went in, you know? And then I look up, and I mean, I couldn't believe it. That it landed two feet from the hole, skipped up another two feet behind it, and then kind of delayed. But then it started and it spun and it spun back in the hole. And I was like, did that really just happen, you know? And like I said, the guys in my group, we we're all stunned, staring at each other, like, oh my goodness, like that actually went in. So. Another surreal moment in my career golf. If you think it, you can believe it, it'll happen, I guess. And sure enough, I mean, that's, you did that. They definitely sat out on the putting green. If, if, if you've thought you've made it, you've already, you're 80% there. You know, you just got to go ahead and hit the ball then. <laughs> exactly. Well, Rian, just looking through your career and being able to make that big jump again, just it's a huge jump at 18 years old to go across the other side of the world, basically, to the United States. How has sports been able to help you in your life, and how does it impacted your life and the role that it's provided? Um, I think golf specifically in general, it's it's an unbelievable game. The, the, the amount of people you meet, um, you know, and even just, like, the integrity of the sport, you know, and that's another another reason why I'm a big fan of, like, the FCA or the, the first tee programs, Um but I just think, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's allowed me to travel. It's, it's made me a better person, you know, meeting, meeting all these people. And, yeah, I mean, sports life for me, like, I don't know what I'd do if I didn't have sports. So that's kind of molded me into the person I am today. And what about any words of wisdom, any phrases or quotes or just even life advice that has meant a lot to you that you would like to share? Um, man, I mean, this, this game can beat you down. You know, it's, it, it's a mental struggle day in, day out. Some days you have it, some days you don't. And, it's normally more often than not you don't have it, so they're the tough days. But I mean, a good word for me that I've kind of taken under my wings: perseverance. You know, like I've been I've been fortunate to be to be able to keep doing what I'm doing. Um, you know, for the amount of years I have, and um, you know, I just I just keep telling myself that you know I've done it in the past. I, I've obviously I've proven myself at some level. You know, so that like I said, hotel rooms and on the, on the road for five weeks can definitely beat you up mentally, but you know, you gotta, you gotta think back to the good times and, and the good rounds that you've had. And, and, uh, you know, in hindsight, live a pretty cool life, you know, get to travel the world and, um, and play golf for a living. So, um, so yeah, you got, you definitely gotta, gotta take the positives out of it for sure. Well, the positive is that it allowed us to be connected, Rian, and I'm grateful for that. And, I hope to see you again, but I don't want it to be at the BMW Charity Pro-Am. I want you to be on the PGA Tour next time we get to see each other. So thank you so much for spending time on my podcasting journey, Rian. Yeah, absolutely not, Rich. I appreciate having me on, and it was good to meet you. So yeah, hopefully next time we we reconnect, maybe down at uh, Hilton Head on the PGA Tour. (laughs) Yes, sir. I would love it. Embarking on a journey with so many unknowns is not something that's easy, and especially if you're heading off to a completely different country and culture as Rian did, leaving Australia for the United States. But if there's one thing that has allowed him to face the unknowns and all of the challenges of this adventure, it's the same thing that he uses each day on his grind of the professional golf tour, and that's his strength of perseverance. Now that finishes episode 69, and remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. 
Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Takes Sports. Thanks for listening.